We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi and welcome to The Truth Perspective on the Salt Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host, Joe Quinn. Hello there. Harrison Keeley. Hello. Lan Martin. Hi, everyone. This week on The Truth Perspective, left by the wayside on a right-hand turn, what happened to Salt.net? That's what we want to know. The polarizing effect Trump has had on people both in the U.S. and globally is a phenomenon to behold. On what seems to be a weekly basis now, Trump does or says something that triggers Twitter storms and mass media hysteria, prompting round after round of indignant outrage, outrage, I tell you, <laughs> and renewing each time calls for his impeachment on the grounds that he is unfit to be president of the USA. But we're not actually going to talk about that orange Stable genius, at least not not for the most part. Um, he's kind of our case study, maybe. Whether or not anyone supports Trump isn't really the point. His main function in these times seems to be as a catalyst for the revealing of a whole host of hot topic and divisive issues, both in American and Western society in general. These things have been festering in the background for years and decades. We know them by terms, poverty, class, gender, identity, immigration, democracy, human rights, the wage gap, racism, sexism, the patriarchy, evil corporations. The language we all use is steeped in ab abstract <coughs> terminology and that they're all open interpretation, of course. Most importantly, though, they form the basis of overlapping ideologies, all of them which rally around injustice. Nobody likes injustice, right? Uh, no. So, uh, reality check on everything. That's what we're going to try and attempt today. <laughs> <clears throat> Trump this week peeved off or triggered everyone from Washington to Berlin and back again with his comments about, well, his comments were actually about immigration, but um, the word he used to describe Haiti and other countries in Africa were mainly got, what got reported and, of course, um, prompted, like I've described, another round of indignant outrage. Mm-hmm. In a way, I suppose, you know, people are right. It is unpresidential. I mean, they just you just don't say certain things, right? I mean, you never hear Putin having to... At least he's not publicly known for calling Ukraine a shithole when it actually is. I mean, it wouldn't be... It wouldn't be wrong for him to do so. Um, but it's just not done. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump, on the other hand... 
<clears throat> it's kind of gotten elected on the basis of not being PC. In the way, it's what people expect of them. First thing to note, though, is that these, these comments were not actually said publicly. This is a bit different from other cases where people get outraged by Trump because he didn't tweet them or something. They were said privately. It's not even clear what he said. But anyway, it, it does sound like the kind of thing he would say, though. Right. He said similar things, if not quite so egregious in the past, so people are are willing and ready and willing and able to um, to assume that it that is true, he may as well have said it publicly because mm-hmm. he said similar things. Um, yeah, shithole. The, me- the media um, likes that term, obviously. Now they got a chance to... They kinda, It was cathartic for the media, for a lot of leftist media, to get to say shithole uh, so many times because they, you know, they never get to say that. Some of them were like, you know, blushing and having a hard time when they said it, that kind of stuff, you know, but obviously enjoying saying it really you know yeah in the, in the course of it exposing their slavish authoritarian mentality because of course the president says so now finally we can also get to say it right well the thing is you mentioned that putin isn't on record but i'm sure you know putin doesn't have anybody apparently and obama never had anybody and bush never had anybody inside <clears throat> his administration or at these meetings who would then go and uh blab it to the public so no doubt Putin has said similar things no doubt Obama has said similar things in private Mm -hmm. to other politicians Um, I mean look back to uh, Dick Cheney you know Uh, I can't remember who the politician was but somebody challenged him on the floor of Congress I think way back when 2004 or something like that on Cheney was Cheney used the F word to that guy. Uh, it was reported fairly in the media at the time, you know. The point is that this is the way these people talk, you know. These people, people have this delusional idea that in this day and age, in most countries, their leaders are actually morally, uh, you know, of a higher higher standing, of a higher moral set of moral values or whatever um, than they do, which is completely false, obviously. Um, they don't. Um, they're as foul-mouthed and and um, dirty-minded as as the average person in the street, you know. So obviously they're saying and thinking these things all the time. Um, but it's the problem. The problem is that it gets out into the public, and then a big shithole. I mean, a shitstorm happens. Um, which is so it's it's hard to actually comment on it. It's hard to take it seriously, really, to be honest, or to. Uh, you know, get worked up about it. Although obviously the mainstream media and a lot of the lefty lefty media and, and people in the US are getting very worked up about it, and it's just pure hypocrisy and, and idiocy and inanity. Basically, uh, it's, who cares? You know, like I said, these people. Well, as long as you accept the fact that these people, um, which is reasonable to accept, that the politicians say and think these things all the time in private. Mm-hmm. Trump said it in private. But the media, the, the big difference here is that there's people inside the Trump administration who are willing, you know, as part of the kind of bash Trump campaign to to release it to the media, release it publicly. So that's the only difference. He so actually, shut up, everybody. He actually said worse about Haiti and Nigeria last year. Um, at least when he said it's shit, they're from shithole countries. It's a reference to the country, which someone from there could agree with. But in this case, he was actually describing people from there. 
someone again similar similar situation to this someone leaked to the new york times in december that back last june 2017 when trump was in a cabinet meeting he was so incensed by the number of foreigners entering the, the U.S. earlier that year that he went on this rant, learning that 15,000 Haitians had received visas to enter the U.S. in 2017. Trump said to have remarked that they all have AIDS. He then complained about another 40,000 people arriving from Nigeria who, he said, would never go back to their huts once they set, eye, set their eyes on the U.S. Now, of course... Not everyone from Nigeria, uh, Haiti anyway, has AIDS, but it does have the highest rate of um, AIDS in the whole Caribbean and Central America. I mean, it is a serious problem there. I mean, that's probably that's what Trump's on Trump's mind. He's not literally thinking they're all evil or they all have AIDS. But uh, so someone takes a phrase, he, a, turn, a turn of phrase he used, a poor one for sure, but then it leaked, and that's all that's put in quotes in the New York Times. And it's put in the worst possible light. The American people, uh, um, every every population gets the gets the leaders that they deserve, that are representative of of the people, uh, of the culture. Let's say that, and, and I think that that holds true here. Uh, Trump using this kind of language, and like I said, politicians use this kind of language all the time, probably in private. Um, so there's nothing to see here. The last time the American people, in this case, had. Uh, a president who was actually better than them, who who fit the profile of someone of high moral standing and intelligence and uh, uh, integrity, etc., who would fit the notion of a president of the leader of someone better than us all was probably JFK, and they killed him for it. So what do you want? This is your president because this is who you this is who you are. Get over yourselves, you know. I'm speaking directly to leftist media type types here, you know who are. Disgustingly hypocritical, you know. I mean, it's just I, I just don't believe any of them, you know. I mean, the ones have in the leftist media have been outed as kind of like leches, you know, uh, um, kind of creepy leches, you know, grabbing women and stuff like that. They're already been in the leftist media, in the leftist, and the left-leaning media have already been outed. There's been several of them, uh, but the rest of them are all of exactly the same ilk. They just haven't been caught, really. Um, they're no better, the vast majority of them. So they're massive hypocrites. But hypocrisy is a way of life, you know. Uh, it's not something to be condemned these days. It's it's a way of life for people, you know. So uh, and people are in, inherently hypocritical. What do, you, what do you mean by hypocrites? I mean you can call it pretty much every, pretty much you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the human race are hypocrites because uh, hypocrisy is you know, fundamentally it's well it's lying right. It's being deceitful to other people, but it starts with being deceitful to yourself. And the vast majority of people are deceitful to themselves. They don't know anything about themselves. They don't know motivations. They cover it up. They present themselves as something that they're not. So every human being on this planet is a hypocrite, including all the politicians and all the media uh, personalities. Mm-hmm. So so what? What sort of see here? It's very difficult for me to take any of this seriously because I've done just basic rudimentary investigation and research and come to some understanding of human nature. But apparently most people on the planet haven't and don't. So they run around as hypocrites for pretty much all of their lives. Lie to themselves, lie to other people, and make stuff up. Mm-hmm. There's a, an interesting good dynamic going on with uh, Trump here because 
like taking into account that that uh, that all these people are hypocrites, and you know, pretty much, you know, like you said, everyone is to one degree or another, and and that people kind of get the the leader that they deserve. Um, it's like a representation of themselves, and so with a guy like Trump, the the way he's uh, he presents himself and the way he's presented, kind of is a representation of what a lot of people are like. So rather than have the the kind of um, you know two faced hypocritical self presentation that a lot of politicians have, mm-hmm. it's kind of like with Trump, what you see is what you get, and he's just kind of like open, and I think that's why a lot of people right. still like him. Nope. But on the other right. hand, but on the other hand, um, there are reports um, like there was there was a an op ed in the New York Times just a few days ago um, about how the kind of anti Trump movement is kind of turning into uh, kind of like losing its own, losing any credibility it's ha- it has and uh, just kind of going crazy. And the point that this guy made and who, I can't remember which uh, which writer it was, but he, he admitted to being in the anti-Trump camp. You know, he's not a Trump fan, but the point he made was that people that um, that actually go into meetings with Trump, they say that he's not anything like his public appearance, like his... Mm. His his um he's not anything like his his public persona self yeah his public persona or the you know the way that he's presented by the media who kind of picks up on that persona that he actually listens he knows enough and has enough background to be able to ask intelligent questions and to know what the topics are he listens you know he's basically a good guy to get along with and um you know totally reasonable in person so on the one hand it's kind of like the the mirror image of uh, most other politicians or pretty much every other politician where mm. they just put on a, a total show to make themselves seem more, uh, more upstanding and upright than they actually are in person. And, you know, behind the scenes, they're just, you know, like leches to one degree or another. I mean, you know, they might um, just like, you know, ordinary people, you know, use bad language or say inappropriate things or do inappropriate mm. things. And then with Trump, he does all that stuff like in public. And then mm-hmm. when he actually gets down to business, it seems like he's actually pretty professional about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just think that's a kind of interesting inversion. Yeah. Hillary Clinton cusses like a sailor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That is well known. I mean, everyone who's had any encounter with her does. Well, not everyone has talked about it because, you know, she, she can get you killed. She's that kind of person. But um, a lot of people have spoken out about how. Yeah, foul mouth she is. Well, yeah. yeah, so that's an example. I mean, the people who don't realize that are just deluded. What do you do with deluded people? You just have to ignore them and let them rant away. But I mean, the people who voted for Trump and like Trump, obviously, uh, I'd say I'd say part of the motivation, or at least a lot, of, or a lot of motivation for them voting for Trump was that they had enough of these deceitful, duplicitous, two-faced politicians. Where like Bush and Obama and all the rest of them, all the establishment politicians for decades now have been. You know, saying nice things in public and saying all the right things, to, you know, high-sounding words, etc. But uh, behind it, they're doing pretty disgusting and, and and disreputable things. And the people finally figured that out and said, "Listen, you know what? Let's let's dispense. Let's 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 be done with these two-faced politicians who say one thing in public and do another thing in, in private or behind the scenes." Um, and let's let's have, they were attracted to someone like Trump, who seemed to be someone who didn't care about that, who was more honest. And that's how bad it's got these days. That honesty is. Uh, the most honesty you're going to get in a Washington politician or in a president these days is the figure of Donald Trump, someone who's crude, and you know that's 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 where you have to go to get honesty. You have to put up with the 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 you know, and it's it's kind of like a 
uh, a kind of meme in a certain sense that, you know, you'll get more truth out of that straight talking kind of like uh, lower classes, let's say. Or, you know, if you want some home down truths, go and ask some some uh, lower class person or whatever, someone who, who has no errors and graces and just give it to you straight type of thing. You know, that's a, a kind of meme or something that's a truism or something that's generally held to be true, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they're dealing with with Trump. That's why he was, he was attractive because people un- understand that in other people and, and they saw these people who could still ha- who had a functioning bullshit meter, basically, who could see behind, who could see the fact that these establishment politicians have been lying for all these years, <clears throat> saying one thing and doing another. Um, they, they decided uh, to go for some to go for the take that option of uh, of the straight talking kind of uh, crude rude that comes along with it uh, candidate over someone like Hillary Clinton. Um, the other people who can't can't see that are, are obviously lost. You know they 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 they, they live in a, in a sea of lies and they're probably they're the kind of people who who are less sincere, know less about themselves, know less about other people, and live in a you know the the ones who have put on the airs and graces and pretend and um, and aren't real, you know, there's the ones who would be attracted to people like them, which would be Hillary Clinton and establishment politicians. Mm-hmm. And that's why you know a large percentage of the population who voted for Trump would have been kind of lower class people and people from southern states, let's say, where it's synonymous with lower class, even though that's not the case. But let's say lower class around the country, we call a spade a spade, or you're more used to calling a spade a spade, you know. And and those people who do that. General rule probably have a better, like I said, a better bullshit meter or more functioning bullshit meter where they they can't prove it, but they know that politicians are being two faced. Whereas the people who themselves, the voters who themselves are two faced, don't see that. They see that as something they, they you know they believe the lies, and they think that uh, being two faced and saying one thing and doing another is is the way to be. You know, as long as you put on the, the facade of being a person of integrity and high ideals, then that's enough, even though you're rotten. Um, behind the scenes well just a little background on uh, the, this recent comment um, on the part of Trump that, that's been uh, carried away with um, by the mainstream media uh, what hasn't been said is that um, during one of these meetings that he had with uh, the various congressional members on the subject of DACA uh, apparently he, he had it um, filmed and uh, it was very kind of inclusive and participatory. And a lot of the comments uh, from people who watched it were, you know, this is fantastic. This is, you know, this is really transparent. And uh, and we're giving, you know, we're lauding Trump for uh, conducting the discussion in the way that he had. Now, um, as for the, the comment uh, about shithole countries, um, it seems that that was made uh, off camera at some point, and there's speculation as to the, the idea that Dick Durbin, who was kind of the Democratic opposition, uh, who was offering a different um, uh, challenge or, or deal to be made about DACA, had leaked uh, the comment uh, as a way to kind of present leverage over Trump because Trump was um, basically making such a good argument for uh, basically following the rule of law. Uh, you know, th- there isn't anything that, that Trump has been proposing that isn't already on the books and decided on by Congress in 2012. And it, it was only Obama's kind of unilateral rejection 
of Congress's um, rules on DACA that uh, that have made it the issue that it is today. Um, so so basically, uh, this whole um, comment and and the the outrage, the, the fake outrage that's been a result that we've seen in the past couple of days, is uh, is just. The, the media jumping on the opportunity to to not only kind of demonize Trump and peg him into this uh, this false kind of racist category that they've um, that they put him in, uh, but to politically kind of end his uh, his designs on reaching some kind of real um, agreement on immigration that has some integrity and follows the rule of law. Right. Indeed, no U.S. president deported more people than Obama. But no one knows because he speaks so well. Speaks, you know, language. The surface is apparently more important to people than the substance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I came across the Reuters report on this yesterday. Yesterday was actually the, the anniversary, the eighth anniversary of the Haiti 2010 earthquake. So they combined a story on that with Trump's comments. And they just have a little byline in brackets at the top. <laughs> it says, note, language that may offend some readers. Mm-hmm. You know, are we, so, are we so sensitive that it's going to be in text form? It's not like it's going to be a GIF or a video of Trump screaming it in your face at really high volume. That you're going to protect people, or you ex, ex, Reuters, whoever wrote that, expect anticipates mm. such sensitivity in other human beings that they've got to include them. I mean, yeah, and people can't stand the word shithole after they probably used it or something similar it's in the past week. Of course, exactly. It's ridiculous, you know. Let me talk about dirty-minded Puritans. You know, it's just the hypocrisy is ridiculous. Those people are in big trouble, like in terms of if self-honesty. Is, an, is, a, is a value that is very important for human beings in terms of uh, living a happy and, and, and productive life. Those people are screwed. At that, if, there, if, there, if there are people out there who, if Reuters is accurate in its assessment, there are people out there who can't stand the word shithole, who have to be told in advance there's a, there's a word in here that might cause you to have a nervous breakdown or you, know, might, you might get a bit nervous and fall off your chair or something. Well, it, inherent in that is like a certain amount of priming. It's like, you're supposed to feel outraged and and uh, exactly and yeah. insulted yeah, yeah. by by reading this. Uh, so this is what you're supposed to think about Trump's recent statements. Um, mm. And it, it was the same in some comments on CNN a couple of days ago. You had one of these Jack Taper clones come on and do this whole uh, this whole very sanctimonious uh, discussion about Trump's statement. And, and look at how he made reference to Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas previously. And look at how he, he spoke and said that there were some people in Charlottesville who, who were actually good people uh, who were protesting on both sides. And they, they, you know, they put together this little montage uh, and uh, present this, this case for Trump being this evil racist. Uh, it, was, it was remarkable. Um <clears throat> Yeah. You know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with holding, you know, the reason this, this this whole thing gains traction is because there's nothing wrong with expecting that the leader of your country would hold to 
higher standards and wouldn't say things like this, even in private and all that kind of stuff, you know. But the problem is, like we keep saying, the people get the presence they deserve. The pe- people get the leaders that are representative of them. So if the American people that don't like this, that are outraged that I'm using this word shithole, they need to put their own house in order. If they expect to get someone that's representative of them, they have to start at the bottom. You can't start from the top down. No president is going to come along at this stage and transform uh, the American people and lift them up out of their out of out of the the gutter that most of their minds are in. You know, um, they have to do it themselves. And after much work in that regard, then they could uh, either expect to have a, a, a leader who's representative of, of their new found moral standing or they would be justified in being outraged at it. But when they themselves are as bad, again, it's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, so Trump like, said... Looks like we've got a caller. We've got Stephen on the line. Do we want to take that right now or did you want to say something first, Neil? Go on ahead, yeah. All right. So, Stephen, we've got you on the line. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, that's great. No echo this time. Thank you. Okay, and uh, and I want to. Um, I think I think this is gets really. Uh, this discussion gets really dangerous in in lumping everybody together. Um, I've been involved with uh, Haiti and Haiti activism. Uh, I lived in South Florida. I do have Haitian friends now. When somebody tells me that, hey, you have Haitian friends, that doesn't mean shit. Your Haitian friends, what they think, fuck them. It doesn't mean shit. That's whoa, bullshit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we just go easy on the language there a second? No. Just, oh, well, you don't like the word shit? You don't like the word rather, shit? You, can you just not cuss so much? No. Any more than you have to. You don't. Anymore. No, let's let's look. Are you? Oh, you're, so you're a little bit slow, snowflakey. Uh, you know, triggered by the word shit, right? No, he, he said fuck. You used. Oh, you, the, the word fuck too? Oh, well, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm dealing with people that have uh, very, very sensitive uh, uh, linguistic palate, okay? And I'll try to take that into account, okay? Just don't, unnecessary, just don't unnecessarily pepper your, pepper your, your, well, you know your word you know with it. Okay, just try well, to be a good, grown-up. Good, and that's my point too. I get all of these people that are triggered Every so what what my friends who were Haitian and Honduran and Venezuelan that I formed a what they think about being denigrated by an oaf like Trump, oh they should just shut the hell up. And um so what they think doesn't matter. Um what my problem what my problem with what Trump is saying and with my problem with Trump's supporters, now mind you, and you guys know this. I wanted Trump to win over Hillary, and I am thankful that Trump won over Hillary. But ha- now that he's in office, when when you use language like kike, when you use language like nigger, when you use that, the reason people, sensitive people, have a problem with that is that because when you use that language repeatedly in denigrating a whole group of people, it desensitizes people. It dehumanizes them. It makes it easier for you to perpetrate violence on these groups of people and get away with it. Sure. And, we, and this has been going on for thousands of years. It shouldn't be that hard to understand that. Now, there are SJWs who are pieces of crap, and they grandstand, 
And it's usually their leaders that are making 50,000 or more that just sit there and they whip up resentment. And um, in my opinion, they have no credibility. But we're living in a situation, and, and I'm a leftist. I work for a lot of wealthy right-wing people. They're great people in general. There's a lot of nuances in our relationships with one another. But I'm on the left, and that means I'm an anti-imperialist. I'm anti-racist. I'm anti-people getting screwed over by more powerful people, whether it's Palestinians or Hondurans. Right now, the um, you guys haven't covered this much, I don't think, but in Honduras, um, there was a sham election, and um, they're they're basically shoving down their the the people of Honduras' throat right now. Um, you know, authoritarian military dictatorship under the guise of uh, free and fair elections, which is totally yeah, we crap. Anyway, here's my point. Um, I don't think Trump is evil. I understand there's a lot of people that call themselves on the left, that grandstand, and they didn't say anything when Obama was destroying Libya, when Obama and Hillary were destroying um, what the, whatever exists as democracy in Honduras. It started with Hillary Clinton and Obama. Um, there is there is definite racism, racism on the part of the liberal, the liberal democratic establishment. But they're just much better because their connections with Hollywood and they get some tokens in power there. Jay-Z, Oprah, um, they get tokens in power there that create an illusion that this isn't the same bankster imperialist establishment that just murders people with drones and in Africa, all around the world. And I understand you guys' frustration with that. People that lean to the right, I understand their frustration with that. But I just want to reiterate, there's people that are on the left. They're not, they're not given media time, but they've been consistently anti-racist. They call out the liberals as well, because anybody with a brain understands that this racism and imperialism thing it's been a um, it's been a Democrat Republican franchise for decades, and uh, like I, again, the the amazing thing is we we virtually have no organized left here, and the people that have co opted the social justice um, wing of this and they're on Twitter, they're big personalities, you know, they're total hypocrites, and I despise them. But having said that, and, and again, um, a lot of people that are categorized as stupid uh trump supporting right winger no they're a lot more nuanced they're a lot more nuanced than that but um i just think that oh, from my experience too there are definitely people that are on the trump supporting right white right wing they have no problem bombing people to smithereens mm-hmm. they, they're anti they're anti-union and they're just some of the stupidest people in our society and um trump is anti-union as well um, I think that, I think that Trump, um, he really isn't put in a position to, uh, have to defend a lot of his beliefs, you know, over the decades. But, um, I don't think that Trump, uh, I just think it is, I, I just think that people have a right to say, to, um, call out Trump on his bigotry. And it is bigotry. Um, he when okay and also the DACA situation. If you were brought here when you're one years old, 
and your parents are from Peru and you become basically, you know, enculturated as a U.S. person. Should we just really all just like mass deportate all these people, even if it's the quote unquote, the rule of law? You know, the rule of law is applied to people to, to, um, it's applied by people with power, you know, and, and it is used to punish the powerless while the people that have the power, they can rob the treasury. They can lie about, get us into wars. They can do mass murder, support mass murder abroad. They're not brought to justice for what they do, even though what they do is, uh, is technically against the rule of law. And, um, yep. well, hang on, hang on, hang on there, Stephen. Um, you know, okay, you can, you can draw the, that, that comparison, but it, it doesn't necessarily apply. You can say there are evil pe- people in positions of power who the rule of law doesn't apply to, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Uh, apply uh, the law, the rule of law, in, in, you know, to, to to people, to ordinary people as well. And um, and the thing is, I'm still willing to give Trump uh, um, a kind of benefit of the doubt in the sense that his his motivation is to is what's good for America and and the American people. Um, and and immigration obviously is something that needs to be considered by every country in that respect. You know. And it's not mm-hmm. a it's not, it's not a simple situation, obviously, because a lot of immigration is motivated uh, by politicians that they actually support immigration because what they want is uh, uh, they they want in, in Europe anyway. A lot of uh, immigration is 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 uh, for the purpose of providing people, bringing people into the country to do the jobs that you know the lower paid jobs that the actual uh, citizens of that country won't do it depends on each country what 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 the point is but that's going on in 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 yeah, europe anyway can, can i make a quick comment about that just but real quickly in, yeah, i was just going to finish and say that in america go, maybe go trump, trump is motivated by the same thing in the sense that he doesn't want the uh, first of all he doesn't want people who are coming into the country who would be ultimately dependent on the state and, and taking taxpayer you know american taxpayers money away from other 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 projects because you have to have to pay for or fund these these people to some extent, uh, and the other thing is that uh, are they are they coming in and taking jobs that would otherwise go to Americans, you know, American citizens who are who are unemployed, you know? So these are things that I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of what he what he might be motivated by. And you mentioned that he's a bigot, you know, that his his bigotry and stuff. But like we said at the beginning of the show, what he said about calling these countries shithole countries, um, you, you're pro. I'm. I'm I'm pretty sure that you you would allow for the idea that Obama has held some holds or held and holds similar sentiments, and so did Bush before him. They just yeah, they just didn't say yeah. it. They didn't and, say it publicly. And, and the thing is, Trump didn't say it publicly either. Here, so uh-huh. the thing is, how, how many how many things have has Obama or whoever else or Bush or whoever going way back said in private to other politicians that never got reported by the media because nobody leaked it to the media. But in this okay, case, can, it's being leaked to the media, and yeah, they're going bonkers over it. Is that not a fake? Is that can, not a fake can, scandal in a sense? Can I can I expand can I expand on that a little bit? I and one thing, I am um, I I formed um, I formed friendship with a couple of Haitian guys I worked with as a dishwasher, and then when I went to community college, there was another young Haitian guy, and I started researching. This is when Aristide came to power, and um, so I started researching the situation in Haiti, and. Um, Every time they get a leader like Aristide that really tries to 
mobilize the democratic popular forces, they destroy them. And then the mm-hmm. leaders that we allow Haiti to have are kleptocrats. Right. So, right. you know, here's my, I just want to make a point. My whole thing about me getting triggered, and I'll admit there's emotional component to this about the, the shithole comment is that when, what makes me the, the angriest about looking at people's responses is that they seem to not even understand Europe's and the United States um, colonialism, neoliberalism, the IMF and the World Bank are supporting leaders that are kleptocrats in all of these mm. places that are that are considered shitholes, and mm-hmm. they're the people live in squalor. And I can, but when you don't understand our own responsibility as Western cultures and powers in creating this. Um, that that's the most frustrating part to me right. when when people judge that. And um, I understand there's a lot. I understand you guys' position and that when you look at the people that are screeching the loudest about what Trump said, they didn't give a rat's ass when they're lying in, in NATO is bombing uh, Libya, mm-hmm. which would have right. one of the highest levels of, of living. In the whole African continent. And that's, that is disgusting. Okay. But my mm-hmm. only point is, I don't think Trump is evil. I think that Trump wants the best for the country. I don't think he's just constitutionally totally anti union. He just can't come out and say anything pro union because of the party he's in and so forth. But I just, my only point is with that. Um, there's a lot of people that that take exception to what Trump said that live in these places. And even though their countries are just, you know, just have su- such huge problems, um, you know, they still love their countries and they want some respect and they have to have they have to maintain some some cultural self-respect and they take exception to it. But the, when the conversation is hijacked by a bunch of liberal hypocrites, mm-hmm. now I can understand where you're coming from, too. And um, so I'm just saying that these issues are a lot harder, more difficult. And, and la- lastly, on the subject of um, illegal immigration, I'm on I- I'm of two minds on it and it shifts as schizophrenic in a way. Um, I see when, when the liberals say that, oh, they're coming here, they're taking jobs that Americans don't don't want to do. Well, Americans, this is freaking expensive to live here. Why would you take a job with no benefits in basically poverty wages? And um, you you would you would some people would rather not work than work for eight bucks an hour with no benefits. And if mm. you come from a country like Guatemala, Honduras, um, or the countryside in Mexico where you only make maybe three bucks a day, when you have the ability to come here and make eighty bucks cash a day. You can live mm-hmm. with five other people in an apartment. You can send some money back home to where you could actually build a house in the future. Um, right. But then if you live here and you make even $15 an hour, can you even save enough money to – and you make 15 bucks an hour, well, maybe you got to buy your own health insurance. Can you right. ever even save enough money to have a house here? And now then you want to live the American be- dream. Yeah, and then and then people are telling you, well, oh, well, they're just taking jobs that you don't want to do. That's bullshit. That's crap. 
it's just and, and part of it is because we have no organized labor here. Um, you know, if, if you paid somebody 20 bucks an hour, you know, if you hustle in, in a field picking watermelon, heck, I would do that job. But when it only comes mm-hmm. down to maybe 10 with no benefits, I mean, this is a hugely complicated issue. And um, I right. resent the liberals. I resent the liberals telling me that they're just coming here to do jobs that you don't want to do. And the ones that are making out, or I don't care if they have a D in front of their political affiliation or an R, the ones that are making out like bandits are the people and are the ruling class here in the United States. And and we have no organized labor that really defends people. The, The worst part for me is when I'm low on work and listening to Amy Goodman and other liberals come and tell me, and they have more concern for people that come here with undocumented, they have more concern about their rights than the people that are living in this country that are in the working class or poor. They got more concern for the people coming here without papers than they do domestic people here. And there's a big chasm in in, in that, and that's what Trump answers to because it's just – it's just incredible hypocrisy that we're living with in this country right now. So anyway, I, I hope I, I hope I explain myself better to you guys. You, know? you did. We understand. Okay. Well, well, anyway, um, you know, I really appreciate you guys, you know, allowing me to speak and having this forum, but um, I just think that basically almost in every subject, um, things are a lot more complicated than um, we're presented with. Right. And um, like the white, poor working class, you know, their perspective, our I, I would even say our, but I'm not really poor. But I thank God. Thank God for my Cuban helper. And I have enough work. And thank God for the wealthy people that that provide me work. I'm very much um, I'm very much um, in solidarity with these people because there's a lot of great people out there that are right wing. They're Republican. They do have hearts. And um, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be reduced to just being stupid, rich assholes and so forth like the liberals do. Right. So um, right. anyway, yeah. well, anyway, I'm going to I'm going to go. I'm going to sign off and I'll, I'll enjoy listening to the rest of y'all y'all's program. OK. All right, Stephen. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. There is a great, great case study. For what we're talking about, but the the language, the language that's used. I mean, it's the language we've all used. He's 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 angry and he's expressing all the things we've expressed and all the nuances, the complexities we've talked about for over oh, two decades now. It's all there. You've got the language. The the choice of the first thing is you have to state state what you are. So you have to identify. I identify as a anti-imperialist. Um, some of my best friends are from all these poor classes and these poor countries. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a state, state. It's part. It's you're, you're basically. It's it's what your identity is, right? Mm-hmm. Identity politics. And you've got the big element, the big key element here: empathy. You see, I am I empathize with the poor and the helpless, including in America. But I first, first of all, I empathize with those people out there who are trying to come in. Mm-hmm. Or, or not trying to come in. I just have friends in neighboring countries. I empathize. I, I stake my empathy with them first. Um, 
and then I mean, in in the part where Stephen's talking about racism, I mean, all these things are self-evidently true, but he's coming from a place where no, in his in his vision of things, no one knows this. No one really sees it. It's scary, and I have to shout it out so that people notice. But everyone already knows these things because. Unlike what he actually, what his claim is that everyone is basically racist and a lot of people in America are fundamentally racist, it's not actually true. There are a very tiny amount of people. Yeah, there are those people who are turned up in Charlottesville, some of them. Yeah. You know, the white power crowd and David Duke's people. Mm-hmm. They're, no, it's, they're racist, but they're tiny. Yeah, it's not natural. It's not natural to human beings to be racist. No. Um, in this day and age in particular, with. Uh, you know, uh, technology and global travel and exposure to all sorts of cultures and stuff, there's no way that the majority of people, there are people in, in maybe other parts of the world who are more isolated and stuff and, and tend to keep to themselves who would be not racist in the sense of, of, of having a, because to be racist, you have to have formed in the way that's being defined, you have to have formed these, a bunch of negative uh, ideas about the other person. But if, if you go to somewhere where white people are, are very scarce, people there just look at you as, Weird, strange, unusual. You know, they won't They don't have. They won't have a, a a litany of 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 reasons to hate you type of thing. You know what I mean? So racism, in that sense, is extremely false, and it's a pathology. You know, where people sit around like the Ku Klux Klan or the white white supremacists and stuff, and and in this echo chamber, convince themselves and convince each other of 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 some narrative about about other races and stuff. You know, but it's not natural for the average normal person who hasn't been subjected to that to. Uh, when they meet another human being of a different uh, skin color, to go, oh my god, I hate that person. You know, they're evil. It's it's not it's just not natural. You know, mm, and and when it comes down to cooperating or living in communities together and stuff like that, mm, yeah. After a little while, you get to know someone. Racism isn't really a, a, a part of it. You know, unless it's encouraged. Stephen expressed um, a fear of coming across as sounding schizophrenic, which is exactly what I was thinking. He does sound like uh, no no offense or anything but in fact i can totally empathize with it because in, in the course of the last couple of years he sounds like me yesterday at least in my thinking i don't think i expressed it quite as vociferously but and i felt like i've been totally schizophrenic as i come to terms try to understand with some of my assumptions about things and that that's why you have these create this crazy juxtaposition of empathy for those other people. But my country is, in fact, the real shithole. Then why are those other people wanting to come into your country? And then once they're there, you're like, you're saying, who can work in these conditions where, where, where labor wages are suppressed and it's not even worth going to work? Presumably there you're talking about the natural Americans, predominantly white. But on the other hand, America is a beacon of hope for the people who pour in and are happy to work for five bucks an hour and send the money back to Honduras or whatever. Mm. They're willing to live in lower and lower standards. The idea that's a good thing. Well, but on the other side, but, it's a bad thing. Well, it's 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 supposed the best of a bad situation type thing. You know, if you have people like this is true in Europe as well. Like the Germans have been letting in millions of uh, refugees over the past few years, and they're on record. EU authorities are on record as have, having stated that the, the reason is because we have a uh, too many jobs um, that 
Germans, for example, or other European uh, citizens won't do. Uh, so these people are good, you know, to, 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 fill, to fill these jobs. And because they're willing to live, as Stephen said, five in an apartment um, and live on, you know, they don't have, they're not, they're not, they're not really coming for the American dream uh, in the sense of, you know, big screen TV and two cars and white picket fence. They're not coming for that. They're coming from an increase from, like as Stephen was saying, $3 uh, a day to $5 an hour. Um, and they're willing to rough it, basically, you know. So it's it's all it's relative in terms of where these people come from, the life that they've had. If people come from Syria from a war zone for the past six years, you know, uh, having a place to live, even if it's with a bunch of other people, and food and stability is a big is a big step up, you know. Um, so uh, in that sense, yeah, I mean, that that's a rational response, like a rational reason, a rational argument for for immig- immigration and letting these, letting people in, you know. Um, but yeah, complicated. And I, I think, uh, like you were saying, Neil, about the the schizophrenic nature of all this, I think that that's it's almost kind of one of the the big. I think. Well, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, and kind of uh, share your thoughts on this too. But it's kind of one of the things, one of the reasons I think for the title of this show about the, you know, the 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 turn right that uh, some commentators have have seen on sought and are about and it's it's that also like Stephen said that issues are complex and when when you're stuck in kind of an ideological bubble chamber and you only see the one side of the story then you know you're totally correct and you know the answer and everyone else is wrong and then when you kind of like break that little bubble a bit and try to like have a, a dialogue with, you know, your apparent enemies and try to see their side of it, you might come to the conclusion that, well, you know, they've got a point, you know, but I've right. got a point too. And so you've both got points and they, yeah. those points come into conflict and that's, that creates that kind of schizophrenia. And I think one of the reasons that, that many people don't do that and can't <laughs> see both sides of the equation is that it, it, it is an uncomfortable feeling because there's this uncertainty involved and there are these right. competing competing points, right? Competing values that both seem legitimate. And then that's when it gets really difficult because that's when you say, mm-hmm. okay, so now what do you do, right? right. How, do you, how do you balance all of these things? And that's why it's so complex. And that's why, um, you know, I don't even, I don't even know. It's, yeah. I, well, I, I, I think like to they, expand on that for a second. Uh, I think part of the problem with ideology and, and um, identifying with the left uh, or the right and in the U.S. and other places, is that you're being told that you know if this is if this is what you consider yourself, then you should also believe in this, 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 and this. There is this cluster of policies and beliefs that uh, that kind of go unquestioned, lumped uh, together, lumped together, and uh, and and th- this is what you are basically. So when you when you have individuals who uh, have never bothered to question this this cluster of lumped together issues, uh, then just because one of the issues is something that they seem to be clear on with themselves that they mm. agree with, they you know they they they're kind of drawn in to uh, a whole set of assumptions mm. and, and beliefs about themselves that that remain unquestioned, and um, and it just it, it, it's a trap, basically, because it doesn't. Um, they're not permitting themselves to uh, to do the work of 
looking at all of these other sets of, of issues and assumptions that they have. Right. So it, it is a difficult process that, you know, it, it does induce or can induce a, a feeling of, of schizophrenia when you've, you know, when you've decided by default that you're a liberal or a conservative. Um, and the important thing is, and we talked about this a little bit uh, in the last show of the season, is is to try and make distinctions. Uh, the hard work of making distinctions between uh, beliefs and and actual policies that are um, that are right in their own merits or for their own merits. You, you can't you can't buy a whole ideology hook, line, and sinker. Uh, mm-hmm. It it makes you subject to all kinds of uh, errors in thinking and and um, <laughs> and a tool for for certain policies and ideas that only go to serve the worst elements of of thinking and and politics in the u.s and everywhere yeah and it's it's people who what people need to do people need to understand is that it's not necessarily about solving any particular problems uh the world is always going to have problems but what's what's missing uh amongst amongst most people um and which can lead to disastrous results is people who are not willing to do that work that you were just describing alan of looking at the nuances of a situation, understanding that a situation, any given topic is in terms of society and how to solve it is very complex and takes a lot of work. And a lot of people who are lazy and who don't like that feeling of, well, this is super difficult. It's, you know, it's right in one way and it's wrong in another, or it's right in this situation and it's wrong in that situation. That's very distressing for a lot of people. And they fall back then to kind of blanket statements about how I think should should work and just apply it to everybody, you know, and that's, that, that, that leads to disaster. And there's so few people, I think, uh, who are willing to accept the kind of that burden of of the understanding of the complexity of of the problems that confront uh, global society today. Um, and if more people were willing to do that, I think there would be that's certainly a service. And I think that's for a lot of people, that's the most they can do is to simply put the effort into trying to understand. The complexities and trying to work out or at least understand the complexities of any given situation um, because so much harm is done when people don't take the time and effort to do that and instead just come up with blanket uh, solutions to a problem that just you know ends up uh, can end up destroying the lives of, of millions of people mm-hmm. well here's a blanket explanation that I've come to open up about that I had before. It was one that actually Stephen listed about being anti-war and anti-imperialism. In Haiti's case, he mentioned that um, it's constantly, routinely interfered with. Okay. Now, Haiti's been independent, at least nominally, since 1804. It's famous for being the first black republic, actually. First free country of predominantly black people. It shares the same island with his, uh, of Hispaniola with the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. also largely black. But the levels of development between them are as night and day. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not even going to start getting into the ins and outs of it, but right there in the course of 200 years, it, it's not the only factor that there's an external pressure. Mm. At some point, you have to draw the line in terms of responsibility. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, like, it's like with an individual. We have it enshrined into law. 
okay, we, there are exceptions. The person was maybe, and there are different um, different categories. Like um, <clears throat> they accept these days that someone can show brain scans and show that they were brain damaged uh, prior to the committing a crime, for example, and that will mitigate against you. But the primary principle is that the individual is responsible for his actions. Mm. And so it will go with, with larger scale systems. Mm-hmm. If a country is in a dire state chronically for hundreds of years, right. y- you've got to say, well, hang on, it takes two to tango here. Mm-hmm. Because why have other countries that were colonial, literally colonies, outright colonies, done fine? Oh, chance or fade. Okay, fine. But you're going to, sooner or later, you're going to have to open up the internal circumstances and examine them honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's going to make you go places where you're like, well, that's really racist to think that. Or that's really um, privileged of me to think that in terms of class. Well, they're lower class. I can't really think bad of them that way. Mm-hmm. And blaming the victim. But hold on a second. Blaming the victim, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we have we we have got to reconsider well, our assumptions. But that's here. the school. You take it, broaden it out to the school of hard knocks philosophy, basically, and it's that uh, all is allowed. Basically, this is this world is a place where you have where it's kind of like a dog eat dog kind of situation, or, or in that context of imperialism. Let's say the countries that um, were colonized and and abused and robbed and raped and pillaged, etc. Um, that's that's just the school of hard knocks, basically. That's that's the times that we're in it. That's what happened. You had great powers. They went around, went around the world conquering uh, territories, taking resources, etc. And uh, that's that's quite a long time ago. We've had a long history of imperialism type thing. And today, uh, the countries that that either didn't learn from that and learn to protect themselves in some way or other, form other alliances, whatever, or or get in with the, with the imperial power. And, and make proper deals for their people, well, then they are to blame for it. You know, you can't say that, you can't say that, you know, the idea of global global justice has to be imposed. You have to wipe out the entire, the idea of anybody going into any other, any other country and stealing the resources or meddling in their, in their affairs. Because you, you can hope or wish or dream for that, but it doesn't seem that that's going to happen. So what do you do in that situation, you know? Well, the, the only logical, rational response to that, if you accept that you're not going to wipe out evil in the world, let's say, if you want to call it that, or imperialism, whatever you want, however you want to describe it, well, then you have to get smart. If you don't want to be a victim anymore, if you don't want to be abused, if you don't want your country to be in this kind of situation, then the people in that country have to get smart. They have to work some work it out so that they at least aren't getting, uh, you know, getting continuing to get abused two hundred years later. Like China, for example. But that goes to the heart of the whole justice thing and the whole, you know, yeah. the, the whole social social justice but warriors who want to impose a the, world without any injustice whatsoever. And in, in the, their, their solution to it, it, this has been expressed, not just by like SJWs, whatever, crazy students or kids saying this, academics, known feminists included. Their explicit solution to historical chronic, let's say, systematic, i.e. repeated abuses by colonial powers to the third slash developing world is precisely this issue of immigration. We owe them, let them in. Yeah. 
Exactly. Well, Stephen just commented there about uh, that Haiti, Haiti is a special case since its liberation as a nation in a massive slave revolt has been subjected to both the U.S. and French undermining a country invasion and multi-occupations by the U.S. But that's, that still doesn't really answer the question of why are they still in this in this situation when the other half of the island, like uh, the Dominican Republic, is is like um, it's a holiday destination for for Americans and for other people and stuff. And and you know, look at Cuba. Cuba certainly was targeted for decades. It still is to some extent targeted by America, but it has managed to not to at least not uh, be a shithole. Uh, yeah. in, 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 in the way that, you know, Haiti might be described, for example. So why Haiti? Why is that? Are we saying that the imperialists had it out for the Haitians and at no point ever was there a possibility for the Haitians to get their shit together or the leaders of the country to kind of like work something out so that it, it isn't in the state it's in today? Is it, was it fundamentally impossible for them to do that? That's the question. I don't know if that's, uh, if that's true or not. Um, but the bottom line is it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, and it's not black and white either. We can advocate the we can we can argue for the idea of the school of hard knocks and that you learn through adversity and you better get with a program and figure out how to how to work work it out in this world. Uh, while at the same time, we can advocate that for these countries that would be the targets of evildoers of of imperial of imperial powers. Um, while at the same time criticizing imperialism you know what i mean it's like it's like saying to the it's like it's like some kid at school who's 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 being bullied and he has almost internalized the sense that he's he's a victim it's not good for that kid for his future development to think that he's always going to be a victim because he was bullied you got to go and have a talk with that kid and say listen it's bad you got to try and curtail the excesses of the bully knowing that they're probably always going to be a bully of some description in that school but you're going to try and then teach the kid how to get smart and not be a, be a victim of the bully all the time you know i mean that's the only rational solution to that problem it's not to find a way to euthanize or strangle all the bullies in the in in, in the cradle those kind of policies ultimately obviously end up doing far more harm than, than, than any good they could possibly do because you'll end up strangling people who aren't bullies and stuff. You know, sort you'll identify a genetic trait of bullies and kill all those babies. You know, I mean that kind of policy, and that's our problem with the whole idea of social justice, global social justice. Here's it doesn't the thing. work. Imperialism. Let's define it as the impetus to go get stuff unfairly. Okay. Yeah. Imperialism has adapted in the 20th century. It now is using the language of the left. Yeah. Humanitarian interventions. Intervention. Yeah. Save those babies in those incubators. <laughs> yeah. He's killing his own people. Right. So the point it's about just, this point uh, about this world is you have to be smart. You can't be a victim. And you know? Neil, the the left is using the language of imperialism. I mean, you know, we we've had a couple of articles recently on on Sat. Uh, you know, one one Huffington Post editor had recently um tweeted something to the effect of, you know, all I want for the new year is, uh, is to, to kill white males, uh, you know, and stop. Or, you know, you have this, uh, this other professor stating, um, you know, all I want for Christmas is white genocide. Uh, you know, it, it's like, what can be more, what can be more imperialistic in a sense than, than saying such, uh, ridiculous things as as 
as pundits or academics or or opinion leaders. So mm-hmm. uh, it's totalitarian. It's totally totalitarian, and uh, it's it's pathological clearly. And um, you know these aren't one-off statements. These are these are repeated uh, in various ways by these people. Um, you know, uh, so so there <laughs> there is this incredible kind of. I don't. I don't know if you'd call it a trans personification or, or something um, between the the far left and the far right in this country. That is, uh, that's something to behold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I repeat again, just for Stephen's sake, who's talking there about Cuba, uh, about about how the, the Dominican Republic isn't isn't uh, isn't much of a isn't much better than Haiti. There's a lot of uh, Dominicans who are in bad way, and Cubans are trying to. Millions of Cubans, according to Stephen, would leave Cuba and go to the U.S. if they could. Um, I just have to go. Just, we have to go back to the point that um, that the only way <clears throat> that while while railing against or complaining or, or pointing out the excesses of, of evildoers who persecute people and stuff, the only solution in a world such as ours. Uh, for the people who are have been targets of, of persecution or oppression by imperial powers is to get smart, is to learn from it and get smart yeah. and figure out a way to protect yourself from it. Uh, there's no other solution because as far as we can tell, this world is set up in a very specific way and ultimately possibly for a good, a good purpose despite all the evil, uh, which is to allow people, to give people the opportunity and provide the environment or the conditions for people to learn. Not always through adversity, but frequently through adversity. And if people do, and people do learn through adversity, uh, well then, if, if that's the, until they learn how to learn in a different way, <clears throat> then you're going to need effectively adversity. It's like, you know, a school of hard knocks, like I said, or, the, or boot camp or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's the standard that by which people grow, uh, the type of people on this planet, if that's the, the, the means or the method through which, they, through, through which they grow, then removing, attempting to remove adversity from everybody's lives is going to stunt growth, ultimately. So it, the whole point, it's, and this we have to, ultimately, increasingly, as this world goes further down the shithole, the collective shithole, you're going to have to fall back on some kind of a philosophy that makes sense. Rather than trying to uh, advocate for for human beings or some somebody in position of power somewhere to sort it all out, because people don't own this planet, and 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 the stuff that happens on this planet happens for other reasons, probably other than those made <coughs> or designed by by the human actors on this on this planet. You know, so um, you're going to have to fall back on the philosophy to keep to put it in context and understand and be able to keep your head, kind of thing. As things as things uh, progress, because things probably are going to get worse, and it's only going to, and if they do get worse, it's only going to prove what I'm saying, which is that the primary way by which people grow, learn, and grow on this planet is through hard knocks. Mm-hmm. Amen. And one of the points that I, I think you know doesn't get made a lot is that if you look at a lot of the countries. Um, you know, a lot of the countries that aren't very wealthy and like especially in, in Africa. And you'll hear two 
kind of competing narratives again. You know, on the, so on the left in the anti-imperialist camp, you'll have you'll say that the that these nations are you know strictly you know victims of imperialism or neocolonialism. On the other hand, you'll say you'll hear <clears throat> thoughts and and uh, analyses that these governments are totally corrupt. And the thing is, is that they're they're mm. both kind of they're both true. Now, when you have uh, you know an, an empire that's set up, uh, the empire, like Stephen mentioned, you know, will will come in and they will support and set up and make sure or try to make sure that they can get a government in there that will do what they want. You know, mm. there will be certain terms to that agreement. Now, that government that gets set up in this uh, you know third world country will be totally corrupt. Now, who makes up that government? It is people from that country. And mm-hmm. so, you, you, and you have that, you, I mean, just like, like you're saying, it's just the way the world seems to be set up. There are people there at any given time on the history of this planet, like the history of modern or, you know, modern civilization, I'd say. And I mean by that, you know, going back, you know, 3000 years, 5000 years, you know, as long as there have been city states and, and empires, there have been you know, groups at the top, you know, empires at the top. And that changes, you know, there were, there were times when people in the Middle East were, you know, on the top of the food chain, um, the Romans, you know, et cetera, it, it, it changes. But the, okay. the vassal states, you know, they're corrupt for a reason because there are corrupt individuals in that, in that state. And it really is uh, like an education for every country to be able to find some way of dealing with that, you know, internally and externally. Because because right. every every country has that every country has corrupt uh, or potentially corrupt people that want to get into power and if they were in power would would be utterly corrupt and it's a, right. it's a so it's a true a two pronged war for everyone it's to, mm. to fight foreign influence as much as possible to be as sovereign as possible and to fight the internal element that would um, that would just take everything right. for itself and you can't kind of like ignore either side of the equation. And when dealing with the foreign elements, like if you are a country on the bottom of the food chain, that means just like, a, you know, if you're a bullied kid, you have to find some friends. Like right. you, have to, you have to find someone, you know, even if it's another of the bullied kids, you got to like, you know, band together and, and make some kind of mutually beneficial relationship. And then maybe, you know, maybe you or can find another bully <laughs> or find another bully. Yeah. Down the line with him. Right, and that, or that's, someone, yeah, someone, someone that's near that top of the food chain. You know, you need allies. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, you know, the idea is like, of course, Africa is 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 impoverished and is is kind of a lot of countries are controlled and to some extent vassal states of 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 Western empires and the same with Latin America and and other countries, some countries in Asia, etc. But would you expect it to be any other way? For some strange reason, the British and then the Americans. Mm-hmm primarily, or let's say Western Europeans and Americans uh, at a certain point in history not too long ago crawled out of their little nation states and decided to conquer the world. And they had the, <clears throat> they had the motivation, the impetus, and the kind of like, if you want to call it a predatory uh, nature or, or perspective to go and conquer new lands and get stuff for themselves and enrich themselves. So, it, and that's not that long ago. So, of course, we're going to live today with the legacy of that where those African nations that were colonized, you know, 100, 200 years ago are still going to be, uh, to some extent, colonial in one way or another, even stuff. They're still, France still has colonies, more or less, in, in, in Africa uh, that it pretends it's kind of like, um, you know, 
they pretend, it pretends that they're free countries, but they're not. They're very much joined at the hip and dependent on, on, on the French and the same with American, the same with the British and the same with, uh, other countries. So, um, that's, that's just the way things are. When, if you go and conquer a land, if you have a history, uh, say America, or the British, whatever, or the French of having gone and conquered these con- countries, you're not going to just give it up and, you know, in, in, in the spirit of fair prey. Fair play, but that's not the kind of it, nature that most, most human beings, especially those who aspire to power, that's it, not what they're going to do. It's not just any longer a matter of giving up. It's not a one-way thing. There's codependency. Right. It becomes a, it becomes a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Right, but th- there is there is a desire, <clears throat> at least on the part of say certain sections of that other country, for things to remain in status quo. I mean, it's, it's all they know. The pe- people today are born into it. It's it's what they know. It's mm-hmm. what it is. You and the people I mean? who rise up in those countries who who, who realize that this this kind of latter day or twenty first century colonialism that they're living under is 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 very bad for the country. There's a lot of poverty. Uh, those those people need to get together and do something about it. But do something about it in the understanding of you're going to get pushback. You you can't just stand up and say <clears throat> it, it's a very bad idea to stand up and say we want independence from the French because the French are you know stealing resources of this country. You know what? The next day you'll be dead probably if you come out and say that. That's not how you do it because if you're stupid. You're naive if you think that that's enough. Appeal to the UN or something, and what you're going to get independence and your corrupt leaders are going to be gone. Your corrupt kind of client leaders of the French government are going to be gone and you're going to be given the position of power because you said, I want freedom for my people. People are suffering. Think it's enough? What world do you live in? Have you read history? Do you know the nature of the people who run this world and, and the nature of human beings in general? Have you any idea? I mean, how naive do you have to be? That's not how you do, get yourself out of that situation. The point is you have to get smart and that's the learning part of the school of hard knocks. And that's why that kind of adversity is there for you to get smart and understand how to do these things properly and learn a lot about human nature and the way the world works in the process. That's the end goal. That's the end result. And that's the philosophical uh, perspective on it all. Mm. And it's becoming less philosophical, really, uh, as days go, uh, as, as time goes by. It's becoming actually the, the, the actual reality, if you know what I mean. It's something that you can apply. It's a philosophy that you can actually map onto the world and it actually fits. Because you see people uh, and in, even in your own experience, you learn, realize that you yourself learn a lot from hard experiences, what you could call being oppressed. Mm-hmm. You have learned a lot. That applies to nations in, in, in the same way. But yeah. nobody learns anything when you're just given something. You and know, when, you, you, when, you, when, when, the, when the difficult experiences are removed and you're given it for free, you learn nothing. Obviously, you know, and we've talked about this uh, many times in the show, Russia is a, is a textbook case uh, in learning from the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, you know, we recently saw in the interview um, with uh, Leslie Stahl in 60 Minutes with uh, Margarita Simeon, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, that, um, you know, the, the Russians uh, were absolutely... Uh, um, disgusted and horrified by the the attack of uh, NATO forces in um, in Yugoslavia. Uh, left out of that interview, of course, is the U.S.'s uh, constant meddling in the affairs of uh, of Russia, especially in the 90s. And, um, you know, the, the, the consistent and repeated uh, policies 
towards Russia by the U.S. in the form of, of <clears throat> bolstering uh, Boris Yeltsin and trying to export uh, neoliberal economics and refusing to assist the Russians in, in their terrorist problem in the Caucasus. I mean, it was case after case after case until finally, uh, probably in the early, uh, you know, 20, uh, 10s and, and teens, a realization uh, w- was achieved. We, we are not, they are not our friends. And, and we can continue to be diplomatic and we can continue to make overtures and, and um, attempts at, at friendship and, and, uh, and bilateral agreements. But at the same time, uh, we have to treat this party uh, and address their actions uh, and not what they're, not what they're say, saying or claiming to want. Uh, so we've seen that in the case of Russia. Mm. Recently, we, we have these tensions in Moldova uh, where, where the president is, uh, is basically fighting um, a kind of a NATO EU influences uh, within his own country. Uh, so, so he seems to be halfway there on the, on the road to trying to achieve some semblance of, so- of sovereignty in Moldova. Uh, you know, a, uh, uh, a more negative um, kind of uh, status is Ukraine, obviously, who who are basically a lost shithole country for sure, uh, because the, the people have been allowing themselves to get conned into uh, this U.S. sphere of influence. Um, so yeah, I mean we're we're yeah. we're witnessing this spectrum of of influence and sovereignty and and learning curve. Among yeah, and, and many of these countries, as you know, and, and, and the West, including, so. including the U.S., we've only had hints of it so far. Mm-hmm. But what is Russia's and China's standing up in? Because they've had to learn through the school of hard knocks. What effect is that having on the existing empire's ability to behave? So right, it's neutering. It's forcing them and the thing is, to adapt and to. Smile, polite, diplomatic. Now, we know they're still being underhanded and well, duplicitous yeah. bastards. Yeah. But there are signs that it's, it's going to force a kind of – and it might in the long run actually engender, sincere, inculcate an actual realization. Sort of fake it till you make it. A detente, yeah. It might actually – I've joked about this before, but Mother Russia is teaching the West how to become civilized. Mm. Yeah, and I mean pe- people shouldn't misunderstand our – historical railing against uh, imperialism and all that kind of stuff as a desire. And this is where we draw the line, where we don't have the desire to, like the social justice warriors do, to kind of wipe it all out. We rail against it and we expose the the machinations of of empire, of the US and the British and all that kind of stuff as a way to try and help other countries and other, or whoever's reading, to understand how it works and to adjust your strategy accordingly. That's just, we're trying to help to, we're just exposing, we're putting it out there. We're not saying that it has to change in any particular way. We're saying, here's what's happening. That was always been our, our, our approach, which is, here is what is really going on behind the scenes and let the chips fall where they may. We're putting information out there, making it available to people. Like for example, if, uh, if Gaddafi and his son had been reading more solid articles over the past, prior to 2011, or maybe, you know, uh, and, and, and getting a clue about that kind of stuff, maybe he would have... Um, had air defense systems from Russia, like right, Syria did. That, that he didn't have, and he admitted afterwards, this Gaddafi son said, yeah, well, we probably should have uh, got the air defense system from Russia that we were thinking about getting before now. 
And it's like, duh. And we're like, you know, we're just highlighting the fact that you can't believe that they were trying, thinking they could do deals with America and all that kind of stuff. Russia has learned that lesson quite a long time ago now. You, you can't, you basically don't trust them. You don't, you, you, you smile, you shake their hands, Lavrov shakes John Kerry or whoever at hands and, and has a good laugh and, and chats to them and then walks away and says, yeah, he's a lying bastard. I don't believe a word he said. You do, you take that as, I mean, that's, that's the default. I know what's difficult and who, who wants to live in a world where, who would want to be in that, at that level of politics where you have to go and smile and laugh and slap each other in the back and then, and then, and listen to everything they say and then go, yeah. So what do they really mean by that? You know, it's, yeah, it's a dirty business, but again, it's, it's training people, you know, it's, it's training wheels. And, um, and what we do is try and help people who are interested in learning about how the world really works and, and including human nature and psychopaths and position of power and all that kind of stuff. But simply to so that you can adjust your strategy for how you interact with the world and how you see the world so that you may be more successful and less oppressed. Okay, so we've been mainly talking about the anti-war, anti-imperialism aspect of the left, which is, which is, of course, what we would talk about because that's sort of our, it's how we like to be seen too, you know, it's, it's our thing, it's our creds for being on the left. But part of the, I mean, you, you'll have noticed that we've had a lot of articles rethinking other aspects of the so-called left, ideologies and rhetoric. Um, we're not sure yet where things fall exactly, but it it has been an eye-opener. And it's, Joe's commented on this before, it's the coincidence of things that came together. It wasn't just Trump, although he is the lightning rod for a lot of these issues. So many things over the last couple of years um, that any person, before they even go, at least on a conscious level, oh, that doesn't fit with my worldview, it it, it will make them to jo- their jaws just drop. I mean, one aspect of it is the gender identity politics. I mean, the whole issue with it's been there for a long time, but it's exploded in recent years. And and everyone doesn't matter what what you what what team you. you you say you support. I mean, everyone is like, what the hell is going on here? Okay, so a little example. I recently stepped out of the bubble I'm in. I was traveling recently, so I was catching mainstream news, uh, UK mainstream news, a couple of evenings, you know. And so I was stepping into the sort of mainstream bubble just for a while, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But, but then again, I could. Because I realized everything I was watching was saturated in this rhetoric that we're coming to see is a serious, uh, has had serious impact on people's minds, the way they think, the way governments form policies and so on. So the top story, right, on the evening news on this one night I happened to, to watch it in the UK, and not just on one channel, it was more or less the same list of stories on all channels was that an 82-year-old woman had died because the ambulance couldn't reach her in time. And, they, you know, they went on the scene, maybe where she lived. They went to the hospital that was at fault. They had um, doctors saying, yeah, it's been really bad. They, they, 10 Downing Street was prompted to issue a statement about how awful it was and how sorry it was. 
Uh, other political parties jumped in as well. Yeah, this is terrible. And I was watching and going, a person, it, it's tragic. I'm sorry for it. I'm really like sorry about what happened. But a woman, the ambulance couldn't get to her, probably in a remote area. I don't remember. But how is this taking up the first 15 minutes of the half an hour news? But then I, I have a sort of frame of reference. I have this, it, it's like, it's like what MLK said. He said, injustice anywhere, right? Injustice against anyone anywhere is injustice against everyone everywhere. That was a good idea at the time in that context. But somebody took that a little bit too literally. Where today we're all supposed to emote in unison and lament and, and do something about it. Solve this problem because one person slipped through the cracks. An elderly person, you know, whose time had come, for God's sake. I was looking at like going, this, this is crazy. So we're saying we have to fix a problem. It's not even a problem. In, of all the problems facing the UK or any Western country at the moment, how is that the top one? The second story on the, the, the nighttime news was about the gender pay gap. Now, up to fairly recently, I was like, well, yeah, the gender pay gap, of course, it's bad. <clears throat> you just mentioned the term, right? And everyone nods their head and goes, that's bad. We're, we all accept, you know, men and women are equal, equal rights, right? So, yeah, everyone should be paid the same. Well, it's not so simple. You know, how long has the woman been working? Uh, what kind of job is she doing? You know, there, there are many details once you look into it. But this report was basically like the gender pay gap it's not up to scratch. Published by some independent organization. And again, it prompts a media story and then a government response and then lots of hemming and hawing about, oh, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, yeah, we're really sorry that um, our staff are not equal and uh, we're, we're going to do something about it. And what was the example they used? They used an example of BBC journalists where, on average, the, the female uh, rough equivalents of, of what their male cor uh, correspondents were doing were getting 4% less. And this this, developed, this this prompted a hand-wringing story about how bad that was. 4%. I mean, it, <laughs> they've nearly achieved their perfection, what they always wanted, but this relentless, ongoing rhetoric, not good enough, you know, must try harder, and everyone nods and goes, yeah, yeah. And then they had a 10-second report. Oh, yeah, so the Middle East is blown up a bit. Uh, yeah, someone bombed the Russian base. A couple of soldiers died. Anyway, moving on, the Golden Globes Awards are taking place in Los Angeles. And again, it was a 10-minute piece about what the stars were going to wear to the Golden Globes. And they're wearing black because me too, right? All that stuff. And then they did, and here's Tom at the weather, and then they did a wrap. Like 95% of the news was saturated in stuff that isn't real or ideological, this is how it should be and why have we not attained perfection. Mm -hmm. It was pure freaking programming. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew this before, right? But it's just so freaking weird to go back into it and like yeah. everyone else around me just like, la, 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 la. they're passively absorbing. And, and this is what I'm getting at. This is the, the horror of now we 
we call it leftist. Right. Well, it's it's, it's weapon. Uh, it's, wep- it's obviously weaponizing em- empathy. You know, they're exactly. They've, they've taken. They've taken. They've identified. Someone has. I don't know if they're doing this consciously or not, but they've identified. Someone has identified either consciously or unconsciously, with kind of fracture points or divisions, a division line between people, or one that can be exploited. And it's obviously the only thing this does is sow division within society. And I mean, this is something that we've talked about for, you know, going way, way back is like ultimately the general idea is, uh, well, it's conscious or not, again, I don't know, that the elites would are only too happy to have the people fighting among themselves to take uh, take attention away from them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the kind of stuff that they get up to, like, for example, war, war or like, you know, the CIA funding ISIS and that kind of stuff. I mean, you don't want people getting up in arms about that. You want them getting up in arms about, you know, the fact that... Um, you said, you know, women are, are getting 4% less pay than men or some guy, you know, has, has sexually harassed uh, some some woman somewhere, you know, <clears throat> in, in, in Hollywood, obviously. <clears throat> so, and this shows social division and social chaos and that keeps the people uh, distracted and it provokes or, or elicits their, their empathy. It, it, it's very interesting that it, all of it is, it's all focused these days on, on the fields, you know, on feeling uh, concerned about these other people, you know. Um, like the poor people, the black people, the transgender people, the the women, the the men, even whatever you know, uh, everybody has to feel sorry for everybody else, and obviously, that's a quite a quite a strong emotion in people. You know, when you can when you can provoke it and 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 um, kind of work it up, basically, that can easily be turned into, as we have seen, uh, militantism. Because it's a fine line between you know, provoking my sense of empathy or, or my sense, empathy slash my feeling that that person is being oppressed or uh, treated unjustly. That's, you know, it, it's, it's, a bena- it's, a, it's a peaceful or a, a positive emotion, right? Empathy, but it very quickly can be turned into militant action. Mm-hmm. Where people will go from feeling sorry for the black people to going out in the street and beating the heads of white people who they have identified as oppressing the black people. Mm-hmm. And Joe, you, you mentioned just briefly, you know, whether it was conscious or not. And I'd say with any, um, you know, social movement or trend like this, there's there's always a, uh, there's always some people that are doing it consciously with a with an effort, and some that are just going along with the crowd. And <clears throat> this just gets back to ponderology because I mean, the whole ponderology was written primarily based on the Soviet Revolution and the the Soviet Union. And what was that? That was a weaponization <laughs> of empathy. It was right. the same kind of identity politics, but it was like class-based, but also gender-based. Right. And right. and so that's what you see. And, and and you see this weaponization of empathy in, in numerous ways. Like there's the kind of neo-imperialist way with the humanitarian interventions. But uh, but that's kind of like the, the foreign export version where it's like we, we need the justification for what we want to do over there. So we're going to weaponize empathy. And that's good. You know, that's good for, for that purpose. But it won't work on the on the society that's exporting that, you know, that democracy over there with 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 bombs. What it, what you need for, you know, within the country itself, like in the United States, for instance, but you know, most Western countries, Canada, you know, UK, uh, you know, many in Europe, is is this weaponization of empathy for issues within the country, and that divides the that divides the the country itself, society itself, and that creates the fracture points that are then like cynically manipulated. Mm-hmm. In order to 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 change the power structure and to take power, and there's always an element of of wanting to tear things down and to to come to to now put yourself in the place of a position of power, and so that's right. that's one of the things that we see, you know, with the with the movement on the left and why 
why, you know, there might be a, you know, a perceived move to the right on Saad simply because the left is being weaponized and any, you know, any ideology can be be weaponized in this way. Right. It's being weaponized to social discourse, social discord. And uh, that's what we we obviously do not want to see that because we live in these societies. We have a vested interest in them not breaking down into social chaos, which is what this leftist uh, ideology is doing. And <clears throat> getting back to the, <clears throat> the idea of, of weaponizing empathy, it's not really for a lot of people, I think, weaponizing em- empathy. And it, there's another level deeper to that, which is that people are motivated to feel sorry or to reel against social injustice or the poor black people or the poor immigrants or the poor whoever, people who are being treated unjustly. The real motivation for a lot of people in that, uh, I would say, based on human, my understanding of human nature, is that those people are actually, people who really gravitate towards that idea of combating social injustice, what they're actually fighting against is their own sense of uh, having been oppressed, mm-hmm. their own mm-hmm. um, grievances and resentments about life. And this can go back into childhood that's been in people for ages, you know, where they didn't get the medal at school or they got treated unfairly by their friends. I mean, life deals everybody a shitty hand in one way or another. And people carry with them the sense of resentment and a sense that life is hard and it's unfair. They carry that within them uh, throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. And that is what is being leveraged here. And it's just simply being people people who who don't have a plausible uh, explanation or or a believable explanation that they are being treated unjustly because they're middle class people with a house and a family and all that kind of stuff and, you know, two cars, whatever. They can't say, look at me, I'm so oppressed because they're living quite well. Well, but they still carry within them this sense of, of, of resentment and anger about life in general, this amorphous, ill-defined idea of, of life that treated them badly. And, and they project that onto the minorities, the ones who are more obviously uh, um, and demonstrably uh, in, a, in, a, in a position of, of, of being oppressed or, or social injustice. And then they take up that person's cause, but not for out of any real genuine concern for the person, but because of their own grievances. They're actually, uh, it's a catalyst for their own sense of injustice and grievance about, about their own lives and how life has treated them badly. And they'll, they'll, become, they'll become the zealot for the, the poor black people or the poor immigrants or this, that, or the other, but they don't care about those people at all. Mm-hmm. I guess you could uh, say. And that's, so, that's, so that's not empathy for those other people. They don't really care about those other people because they don't actually do the work like we're talking about earlier on to investigate the nuances and the complexity of the situation and how, in each specific context, how you would help that particular person. Mm-hmm. They don't do that because it's, it's about themselves. They don't really care about the other people. It's a selfish, selfishly motivated uh, impulse that they're, that, they're, that they're working off. Mm-hmm. And so what real empathy in that situation is, is to, first of all, Deal with that. Deal with your own shit, which is shoulder, integrate your own issues, integrate your own sense of uh, frustration or anger or resentment about life, and and come to terms with that, and shoulder that burden. Accept that as a part of life. Accept that life is the school of hard knocks, and that that stuff happened to you, and it it you know it it, it influences your behavior and your attitudes about the world, etc. And on, Investigate it, understand it, and integrate it as part of your personality, and then <clears throat> and shoulder it and accept it that life is 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 hard and take in that way take responsibility, which is very closely associated with with empathy because empathy leads to taking responsibility. Take responsibility for the human condition and the fact that life is a difficult place to grow up in and to live in and to to deal with, mm-hmm. and 
shoulder that responsibility, and then you'll be in a position to help other people do what? Not necessarily solve their lives or, or, or remove injustice from their lives from these minorities or whatever or oppressed people, but to encourage them to get to the same understanding of shouldering the inherent suffering and burdens that come with life rather than trying to wreck the place for everybody so that you can feel better and it won't even make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, Amen. You, you said one thing, um, you know, for the for the people with these inner resentments that have built up over the years, and I guess you going back to something you said earlier, Joe, you, could, you might be able to say these are the kids that, uh, you know, never got that talk when they were in kid or in school right. getting bullied, right? These are the kids that have internalized that, uh, that victim mentality and, um, you know, have grown resentful for it and have never learned, you know, to actually function in the world, um, you know, as a kind of autonomous person and to, to, to basically deal and, you know, sort their, sort their lives out. Mm-hmm. But, um, um, you mentioned that, uh, for these people, it's, it's, it, it's not so much empathy as, as much as it is, uh, very easy to, um, you know, project their own resentment onto their, their own resentment onto groups that are more demonstrably like victims of social injustice. But I'd also right. add that that a lot of the times that the issues that are brought up aren't even real examples of social injustice. Like um, like you mentioned, Neil mentioned the wage gap, <clears throat> and like the wage gap has been debunked for like decades. But I was you know I was watching a a video with Thomas Sowell Sowell. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, from like uh, 20 years ago. He's an I like Soul. Yeah, he's great. Soul sounds cool. And he he was a, well, he, I think it was about 20 years ago. It looked, that's, that's what the quality of the video looked like. But he was talking about the wage gap and he was debating um, um, a woman who'd uh, written a report, you know, that was just released, um, you know, back then on the, the wage gap and how men were making more than women. And he just called her out and he said, well, wait a second. You know, I did the same studies and I used the same data. You know, what basically what uh, parameters were you looking at? And then he basically clarified that he looked at all the parameters uh, because you can you can manipulate statistics to, in order to get the result you want uh, when uh, the, the the stuff you leave out is actually the you know, what makes the difference. So basically, when you actually compare the you know the wages between men and women, and you take into things take into account things like how, like Neil, you mentioned, like how long these people, men or women, have been in this position, how long they've been working, like so steadily working for their entire lives, you know, essentially, as opposed to you know just got into the workforce five years ago or something. What their previous salaries were, what their actual position in the the, the company is, he said the wage the, the wage gap is gone. He said, in fact, when when you were super controlled, the women were actually making more than the men when you were when you controlled for all of these variables the, the women mm-hmm. made slightly more than men you know not enough to make a you know a big deal about it but um so so when you look at the wage gap there there are reasons why when you just look at the overall picture it looks like men are making more than women well, it's because men spend more time working for the most part um they've been they've been in these positions for longer you know they've um you know they've worked their way up they've been you know working steadily um, you know, a, a lot of women take time off for, for um, you know, childbirth and, and child rearing. And, but there are various other, um, you know, reasons. But it's not like, you know, you get a job at McDonald's and, uh, you know, the starting out wage for a, for a man is like, you know, 50 cents more than the wage for a woman. It's the same. And that actually applies 
all across the board for the most part. You know, they have this example with like the BBC presenters. You know, I'd want to look at that data some more and see, well, well, maybe maybe it is that just that men get uh, more women in that position. But then you'd have to ask why. Could there be a reason? Might there be a reason that isn't just because they're men? Well, maybe they're more popular. Maybe there's more demand for them. Maybe they've been working longer in this position. You know, um, there are other factors to the hilarity of that. The hilarity of that (laughs) report was that they got a response from the head of the BBC who promised to do better next time. Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. was a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the thing—the thing that I just wanted to add about the, the idea of <clears throat> shouldering the burden of 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 life's kind of suffering that uh, that everybody's subjected to is that it makes you a stronger person mm-hmm. and more able to 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 navigate life and to deal with those with those problems. You know, because I mean, the fact that people aren't able, don't recognize, don't accept that idea of, of, of the suffering in life and that there's going to be oppression and injustice and that you're not meant to wipe it out. You're meant to actually learn to become a stronger person, a stronger person to deal with it and accept it and shoulder the burden and, and thereby become stronger and be able to help other people <clears throat> to, to do the same thing um, is, is, really, is really the most important point. And um, it's, it's kind of like... You know, if you look at the whole um, Me Too business that we're talking about, uh, um, you know, and how the effect that that's having on men, on some men anyway, or that, that this kind of social fracture point where, where men now are having to feel like they're all kind of uh, leches and stuff and they have to become more, more uh, you know, this this idea that men have to get in touch with their, their female sides or whatever, you know. Um, which is being promoted, and men have to basically become less masculine. Your toxic masculinity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's all uh, really negative as well, you know, um, because it's not it's not the way to deal with the problem. Because um, men, in my opinion, men do need to, in a certain sense, become get more in touch with their emotions, to use that, that phrase. But not to become like women, because women do that job very well, although it's been run off the rails as well, like female, the, the, the kind of female empathy that women women have naturally in the sense of they, 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 they tend to care more about, you know, the, the, the babies that come from, obviously. The, they want to make sure everyone has enough in their in-group. Yeah. Right, exactly. They're, they're nurturing, basically, and looking after all the people. Women have that, but that's being taken, the, taken run off the rails, effectively, mm-hmm. to the point where uh, that's been weaponized in itself. Female kind of nurturing instinct has been weaponized to the point of, like, uh, like I said, remove all of the suffering in life type of thing, you know? And women need to kind of, like, moderate that a little bit and realize that they shouldn't be provoked they didn't need, they need to kind of uh, temper that uh, and not let cool. not to let themselves be carried away. But men need to uh, understand their own emotional natures because they have them. Because the problem is that men obviously feel emotions, but uh, and have an emotional nature, and the suffering of life obviously very often impacts directly on that emotional nature. And men, generally speaking, most men present company excluded, obviously, mm-hmm. men that I know are absolutely useless or not very good, let's say, I mean, absolutely useless, but not very good at dealing 
with emotional intensity or the emotional kind of burden that comes with the burden of the suffering of life. They tend to run away from it. They tend to flee from it. They, they run, run a mile from it. And that doesn't help men to, 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 to become stronger and to learn to deal with this suffering aspect of life. You know, men want to kind of flee from it, you know, or leave it to the women. But you, you, what do you want to leave it to the women for? The problem is there's a problem in society yeah, where, where leaving it to the women is, has, has given rise to, to some extent, to kind of feminism and, and everything that, that has evolved around that of, of late, you know, and men are complaining about it. But at the same time, they reject the idea that men should uh, become a bit more able to deal with their emotions because that's a feminist uh, trying to demasculate, de- emasculate men and stuff, you know, and, and we'll talk of toxic masculinity, but there's, there's something in there that, that they're missing, you know. And like I said, men need to learn to deal with, their, uh, with the emotions, their own emotional issues and the emotions that come with the burden and the suffering of life in such a way that they don't fucking run away from it. Flee. Because, you know, well, if you want to get rid of the women, well, how are you going to deal with the emotional impact that the suffering of life imposes on you? It's very important to be able to stand on your own two feet, to not crumble, to not become a blubbering, shivering wreck. Because some situation has, uh, has provoked strong emotions within you and you have no freaking clue about what to do about any of them. You just go, oh, I don't know, I've got to fucking go and get drunk in the bar. You're not going to solve your problems. You're not going to solve the problems that come on you if that's your response to emotionally intense uh, situations. So men in their own way need to figure it out. I'm not saying they should adopt a feminist perspective or, a, or, or female emotions or get in touch with their female, you know, get in touch with their feminine side. That's not the point. It's get in touch with your masculine side, which includes an emotional nature that has in our present society for some reason, for, for one reason or another, been stunted in men and you need to claim it back. You don't have to say women are the emotional ones and men have no emotions whatsoever. No, because you do have emotions and they're going to be activated and provoked in you and if you don't know how to handle them and deal with them appropriately and keep them under control so you can act appropriately with your big male brain or with your logical male, male brain, <laughs> then you're, you're screwed. Because what emotions do is they put your logical, kind of constructive, kind of problem-solving male brain, they, they, they turn it offline. That's what emotional, emotionally intense situations do to, to, to this quality that men have. It, it, it basically shuts it down, and you become a blubbering wreck, unable to function at all. Ryan says, testify, Joe. I think Joe needs to open up a hotline, because yes. that's great advice. Get a hold of yourself, man. Hey guys. Um. So yeah, sot, sot, we're still anti-war. Damn it, the war. Well, come sure. on. We're also anti the war against men in this context. Anti the war against. There's a war against women going on as well. Against real women. Yeah. With the, with the phony screaming at the sky, "Not my president!" Fake women, you know, wearing vagina helmets or hats or whatever it is, their suits. And, and that kind of nonsense, you know. And I just hope that, uh, and, and I hope that those people only speak for <clears throat> a very small percentage of, of women. But I'm, I'm concerned about the, the kind of trickle down, if you can use that term, influence that it has on the rest of society. The people who aren't actually involved in that, but are being influenced by it, you know. And the same for men, you know. It's not that, I, that there's a lot of uh, male feminists out there. 
But what effect is this kind of like Me Too and the Harvey Weinstein stuff having on all those people, you know, further down in the spectrum? I think it is having an effect. And it's, 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 it's kind of dangerous, you know? People need to get a hold of themselves. Well, uh, a phrase that, that's been used a little earlier was uh, the um, weaponization of empathy. And uh, I've, I've come to think of it as the uh, weaponization of victimhood um, and just kind of bringing this down to a more interpersonal level. Uh, I wanted to recommend an article that we had in the Science of Spirit uh, category of SOT uh, not too long ago called The Overview of the Drama Triangle and the Three Faces of Victimhood, where it <laughs> they have a little kind of graphic there where, you know, if, if you aren't taking or shouldering responsibility uh, for yourself and your feelings and, and your life, um, you know, you, what you do is you put yourself on this kind of uh, track of being a, either a victim or a persecutor or a rescuer. So anytime you've, uh, you know, you've fed into these, these kinds of notions of victimhood and resentment and anger over not having it uh, good, as it were, or, or suffering for some reason or another. Uh, and this isn't to say that we aren't victims of certain things. It just means that uh, in many cases, we're victims of things that um, we're victims of ourselves in many cases right. and our own ignorance. Um, so it was a very helpful article to read to, to see how I could sometimes be on this dynamic myself um, for not seeing where I was responsible for certain thoughts and behaviors and, and, and things in my own life. And uh, she gives um, uh, this author, Lynn Forrest, uh, really gives a kind of fleshed out example of, of how this works. And, you know, if you can recognize how you may be kind of part of this cycle of, of victimhood, um, then you can also very well extrapolate and see how it is that uh, people come to be these unconscious, unconsciously motivated social justice warriors and are acting out of, um, of, a, of a victimhood mentality that is just somewhere else along the, uh, the, the process or cycle of being either a victim, uh, a persecutor, or a rescuer. So uh, I don't think it's on the, the main page anymore, but... Um, it's what was really, the name of it? It, uh, it is Overview of the Drama Triangle and the Three Faces of Victimhood. Okay, and folks, check that out. Um, very insightful. We're, we're going to leave it here for this week. Um, thanks to all our chatters. Thanks to Stephen for calling in. We hope you enjoy the show. We'll be back next week with another discussion on the interesting state of the world and these interesting times yes all to be said again probably many times <clears throat> see you next week everyone take care bye bye thanks for listening